Today we're talking about unconscious incompetence. Try and say that 10 times fast. Welcome to Krina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Krina Hoyer. And we're so glad you've joined us today. We are talking about women in the workplace. We believe that your work should be meaningful and joyous and fun. We spend a lot of our time there. And so we're glad that you're here today to talk about how to make that the best experience possible. The absolute best. The absolute best. We're not going for mediocre. No, we're going for good. We're going for We're great. not going for fine. And we have heard that it's not just women who listen to our show. I know, right? So men? Men. People who do not necessarily identify as men or women are listening. You're all welcome. Welcome. Hope we care. you get something out of it. We care about you, too. We care about your work, too. And thanks for doing that work, as we say. Thanks for the work you do. Yeah. Now, listen to this podcast for half an hour, then get to work. Then get to work quick. Don't listen to it while you're at work, or maybe do on your break, maybe. I think you should listen to it. At the workplace. Yeah. We talk about that in a different show. That's our show about... <laughs> Engage, okay, Karina. Being not engaged. Exactly. Not engaged at work. Okay, besides disengage, what's on your mind today, Karina? What have oh. you been thinking about? Oh, you know, it's what I told you about yesterday. It's killing me. Okay, I've been thinking a lot about dress code and clothing. It's on my mind. I've just changed jobs. I'm doing this, you know, I have now this consulting firm, and I have to step it up a notch. I have to think about clothing a lot more than I used to when I was at the same mm -hmm. place for, mm -hmm. you know, 500 years. And I was noticing that what is considered professional dress for women has just have been out of the game for a while. I'm just kind of noticing. That's pretty interesting. And then incidentally, I was watching a TV show that featured some middle school girls. And they, too, were worried about what they were going to wear to this upcoming dance. And in the show, the principal comes over the loudspeaker and he's like, see you all at the dance tonight. It's going to be super fun. Don't forget... Nothing short, nothing tight. Wow. And we're going to have a good night. He made it some kind of, yes. you know, cheesy rhyme. Clearly directed at the girls. Girls, at the girls. As and if boys I, could not, yeah. Right. And that just hit me. What the? Totally address it. I mean, it's like what he should have said is, girls, hide your sexuality. Right. Like, hide anything that could make anybody believe that you're a girl. Hide all of the body parts mm -hmm. that might... Be attractive to a guy. Hide that. Or, and then you can come. Yeah, and then you can come. Dudes, doesn't matter. Do you need to wear a shirt? I don't even know if dudes need to wear a shirt. Uh, you today. don't have to wear a shirt. Tank top. Dudes, go ahead and wear those short shorts and uh, no underwear underneath them and squat, <laughs> which, frankly, was one of the horror stories of my middle school years when my softball coach did exactly that. Oh, yeah. Let's just pause for a minute. <laughs> And just all of us think about the moments that we've seen the short shorts and the no underwear and the, and the squat and the crouch or putting your legs up on the desk. I've seen that after a run. Guy goes out for a run, comes back to the office, puts his leg up. Hello. How come nobody's announcing that, no on, the, about that on the speaker? Keep your junk in your shorts, dude. <laughs> okay. Sorry. But girls, nothing Distracted. short? Nothing Apparently not. Tight. Apparently not. Okay, so that's what's on my mind. Clearly, my new professional wardrobe is going to be a whole heck of a lot of short and tight stuff because be I have a statement to, to make <laughs> about that. No, it just really is interesting, this kind of gender sexuality overlay that we put on kids. I remember when I was in 
elementary school, my mom made me this darling, darling dress. This is coming back to me. It had this really cute whale on the front, this little blue and white polka dot skirt that came down to my knees. And the top of the dress was like a halter. So it was just like tied around your neck with this cute little like nautical rope. Yeah. And so my back was showing. By the way, I was like seven, Ugh. seven years old. Of course, old. you probably looked I, adorable. I go to school. This is in Schenectady, New York. I go to school and the teacher sends me home to dress appropriately. So I walk home, the walk of shame, back to my house. And of course, my mom was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and so she was there. She was furious. I remember her being furious. And it was actually, I think, as I look back on it, so good for me that she was mad because yeah. it told me the person I trusted the most, my mom, said, that's not right. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Why does she think I'm being sexualized as a seven-year-old? Well, honestly... Why does me wearing something tight as a 40, what did I say the other day? I called myself 35, as a 35-year-old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Why can't I just wear something yeah. I want to wear yeah. without having to worry about the feelings it creates and, in other people? And there's a layer of this that I don't want to lose sight of. It's that when we are places, there are lots of times when we don't want what we're wearing to distract from what we're saying. Correct. Okay, so I'm all for that. If I want you to think about what I'm saying, I'm not going to wear a prom dress to the workplace. Right. I'm going to dress in a way that does not distract from what I'm trying to say. But I just feel like you're at a dance. Right. Or what is, are you talking right, about? Right, or is disrespectful to the situation, right? right? right. Like, I'm going to respect you. I'm going to come to work clean and put together and respect mm -hmm. the situation, right? It's a professional situation. I'm excited to do a show about this very subject because I am riled up. Because we're cranked up. up. I am cranked up about mm -hmm. it. Me too. And I don't exactly know what to do, but I'm going to do some research. So we're going to think about I'm that. I'm going to start talking to some of my uh, female friends Future about that, topic. too. Future show topic. Yeah. Future show topic. Yeah. How to dress for success and not the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can we please not dress for the patriarchy? Hallelujah <laughs> okay. to that, Which sister. is not our show topic. Which is not our topic today. Today we're talking about unconscious incompetence. Yeah. A.K.A. Mr. Magoo. I know. And I thank you for letting me go on that rant. Oh, yeah. I loved your rant. Thank you. It was very freeing. It's very freeing. So let's talk about Mr. Magoo. For anybody who does not know the cartoon character, Mr. Magoo, you must Google this at some point. Mr. Magoo. It is the most hysterical thing. It's unclear whether the cartoon character, Mr. Magoo, who's a little short, bald man with squinty eyes, it's unclear whether he just shuts his eyes or because he wants to. Yeah, if he's blind. Whether he's blind or whether he's just clueless. It's just unclear. But Or all three. Or I kind of think he might be all three. Maybe. Suffice it to say, Mr. Magoo proceeds in the world as if he can see when he cannot. He drives a car, he walks around, he goes places. And the humor is that because he can't see when he's driving his car, like he drives over the tops of houses and he drives around. So it's very, very funny. And I think it is that juxtaposition of the absurd. It's somebody who is shutting his eyes, walking around the world and bumping into things. So it's hysterical, really. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, you should look at it. It's very funny, but that is what we're talking about today. We're talking about people in the workplace who are like Mr. Magoo. Seriously. Unconscious Un incompetence. Conscious incompetence, which is a mouthful. It's a mouthful. I'm working hard to say it. I had to and put lip gloss on to get that one out. This concept comes from what is really a progression to competency. So back in this, I love this stuff. You know, I love this kind of data-driven, nerdy stuff. And I love that between yesterday when we talked about this show to now, 
You have a whole legal pad of notes. You know I'm nerdy about stuff. You, you, I know. I'm I love sorry. your research. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love so it. So here's my research today. Back in the 1970s, a psychologist, Noel Birch, studied competency and determined that there were four levels of competency: unconscious incompetence, meaning you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Conscious incompetence, meaning, oh, I know what I don't know, and I don't know that. Consciously competent, when you know how to do something, but you really have to think through very consciously to make sure you're doing it the right way. Okay. And the last, which is unconscious competence, competence. which I think is also flow. I think people would describe that in today's kind of, yeah. you're in the flow, yes. right? But what we're talking about today is people who are stuck in step number one. I know, right? It paints such a great picture, too. Mr. Magoo, Mm -hmm. and even those two words, unconscious and incompetent. Mm -hmm. I just picture somebody, yeah, really just like fumbling around, stumbling around, doesn't really know what they... Although I have to say, it's a state that I've been in. I was thinking about this on my bike ride in today to the studio, how... Whenever I start a new project or start a new job or so whatever, mm-hmm. it's like you're almost blissfully unaware. You're blissfully unaware of what you don't know. It's like a beautiful mm-hmm. place to be in some it's ways. It's like when we started this program, this show. Yeah. We had no idea what we are getting into. We still don't. <laughs> but <laughs> I've seen employees come no, through that. I think we're consciously I, we're, incompetent Yeah, now. we're just consciously. For sure. Yeah. She, <laughs> I'm sorry, I distracted you. <laughs> you always knew that. I love it, and it's a test of my ability to maintain a train of thought. Mm-hmm. Do you think I can remember what I was saying? Yes, I do. I have a lot of faith in you. Okay. But if you can't, you can wink at me, and I can go on to the next piece of unconscious incompetence. I totally want to tell you what I was going to say, okay, which is me. I've seen employees come through, and I know that the job I've just hired them for is a big job, like a really big job, and they rate their success. Like, they think they're doing amazing. Yes. For, like, the first three months of their job. And then there's this reality that sets in when they move from unconscious incompetence to consciously incompetent. Mm -hmm. And I can almost see... Their hair yes. starts to gray. So, like after three months, they come in, you know, their faces. They look get, a little more tired. They look a little tired. Right? They look a little bit more a worried, a little bit more overwhelmed, yeah. right? They've, you can see this movement. So, anyway, thank you for that. That was what I was saying. So, yeah, yeah, to Ching, you got my, it. My Check your box. Work system. So, Karina, you have a great story in your own work life about unconscious incompetence. Unfortunately, though, for you, it was your boss, right? Yeah, it was a very difficult position. Yes, he was my boss. He was new to the organization. In fact, I had helped hire him. I was really excited about him coming in. He, He seemed like he was exactly what we needed. And like I said before, I figured, just like every other employee, he would go through this period of unconscious incompetence, and he'd think everything was fine, and then reality would hit, and he would step it up a notch. Instead, however, he, month after month after month after month, failed to recognize what he didn't know, and therefore failed to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had a serious situation on our hands, but there is one story, I think, that it's like the quintessential story about what it was like to work with this guy. So it was a nonprofit, and he was the head of the nonprofit. And as all nonprofits, we relied heavily on donations from individuals. And so we hosted a gala every single year where people show up, the black suit and tie and rubber chicken, women wearing whatever the heck they wanted to wear. I don't care. Show your shoulders, sister. Let it be. Show your navel. Let it be tight and short. I'm all for it. Anyway, 
And his role was to be the frontman, the MC. His role was to illustrate to all of these donors who we were hoping would continue to support our organization, to represent that strength and knowledge and power and competency. He was the face of the organization mm -hmm. in front of 400 people. However, the event itself had been planned by a whole bunch of folks, myself included. So he and has lots of support. Tons of support, and his only job really was to follow the agenda that he was given. To take the paper. Take the paper, look at his watch every once in a while, and get his butt up on the stage to welcome guests, do the keynote, give the awards, thank the sponsors, etc. right? So the night gets started, and he's up at the head table with all the dignitaries, you know, glad-handing it. I make it sound kind of crude, but it's not. I love donors. Donors are amazing. I don't mean to be that person. But he was up there chatting. He was chatting. Thank you. Yeah. And, yeah, just having good conversations with folks, I assume. And I was at the back table with the staff. Watching the clock. Watching the clock. Working with the caterer, making sure everything is flowing. We are timed down to the minute. This thing is a well-oiled machine. And he's still not taking the podium. And now we're five minutes late. Now we're 10 minutes late. And so this is a big room full of 400 people all seated mm -hmm. at these mm -hmm. beautiful tables. People are murmuring. And people do not have a long attention span. You need to respect people's time. You need to move through. You need to provide people with what you said you were going to provide them and with. And read the audience, right? Yeah, now everyone's yeah, yeah. like kind of sitting there like, now what? Now they're twiddling their thumbs. And so I stand up from the staff table in my heels, which puts me at about six foot two. <laughs> and trot, clop, 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 all the way to the front of this banquet hall and whisper in his ear, you're supposed to take the podium. It's time for the welcome, people. welcome yeah, speech, the welcome. you know, go. Oh, oh, you know, fuddle. seriously, Mr. McGill, I think he might have been the inspiration for that character. Yes. And so he gets up, does the welcome, goes back, sits down. I go back to my table. Ten minutes later, I realize... We're late again. He's supposed to be up there doing a keynote. I stand up, clop, 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 my heels all the way up to the front of the table, get his butt up onto the microphone. He does his keynote, goes back, sits down. This happens all night. In so fact, the fact that you have given him a warning once, twice, three times, he's not taken it on himself to then watch his clock. No, he never learned. And in fact, it was a metaphor for the entire time I worked with him. He was the most unconsciously incompetent person, had no idea, just no clue. It appeared to be completely clueless. So this is the part that's so frustrating for folks in the workplace, which is, what do you do about this? Like, you are doing that guy's job. Yeah. Right? Yes. And so that's my question for you. It's how long did you do his job for him? How much, do, you know what I'm trying to say? It's ah, like, yeah. How much do you enable him? What was your choice? That's a complicated position to be in. It's complicated because, first of all, my number one goal is for him to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, who doesn't want their boss to be? Well, I guess because if he's successful, the organization is successful, absolutely. and you care deeply about that mission. Absolutely, that work. I was excited to have him there. I wanted so badly for him to be able to, yeah, take on that position and lead the organization. And so, for a very, very long time, you know, I was like, give him time; he'll figure it out. It's okay. Let's be patient. Manage the expectations of those around me. And do everything I could to help him be successful. Okay, so maybe that means I also do a little bit of his job, but that's fine, right? We all pick up for each other, and I'm sure what comes around goes around. But there was a point, and I don't know if it was that event or if it was, you know, a whole 
host of other things combined. But there was this point when my attention turned away from helping him be successful to helping the people in power, the people who had hired what him, was the, the board. What was the impetus for that change? Do you know what I mean? Like at some point you switched. Yeah. Was it that you were worried about the health of the organization? Did you just get frustrated? What was it that caused the click for you to say, mm, I got to do something different here? Yeah. Now I need to help people. Now I need to help the board recognize that he needs to move on. And what caused you to make that decision? Did you feel like the organization was at risk? I think that's really what it is. The risk, there was too much risk. You know, recognizing that what I had seen displayed at an event, which in some ways may seem trivial, was playing... But you just said this really exemplifies his entire tenure at the organization is that event. Yes, exactly. So we were seeing that play out in the way he managed financials, in the way he managed risk, in the way he managed staff or didn't, frankly, manage Mm -hmm. any of that. Mm -hmm. And so when it became clear to me that... He was a threat. He was a threat. He was not learning. And he was unwilling. And that's the other thing. And I don't know if in your research you found this, but he was unwilling to accept that he didn't know anything. Well, that's the unconscious. That was the strangest thing about it. You know, we talk so much in this show about self-awareness knowing who you are. Yes, absolutely. And it's like, had he had any idea that he was incompetent, he might have made different decisions about his supervision. Absolutely. Which, frankly, it's funny, we call this Mr. Magoo. But there's another cartoon out there that I would suggest people look up. It's Colonel McBragg. Oh, Colonel McBragg. And that's kind of... You guys called him Colonel Colonel McBragg. McBragg. Because it's somebody who's like just pompous, who thinks they know everything and just puts it all out there. When in reality, there's really nothing behind it. There's really nothing behind it. Yeah. So for me to answer your question, yeah, the risk became too great. And I realized I'm putting so much time and energy helping him be successful. And I think I need to redirect that. So what did you do? Well, thankfully, I worked for an organization that was enlightened enough to do performance evaluations. And they did 360 reviews, which means they interviewed everybody. That's such a great process, the 360 review process, especially when you have a new leader. Yeah, so if you think about that, the person who's being reviewed is in the middle of a circle, and you 360 degrees around them, you interview people above them, their colleagues, and people they supervise. And everyone he supervised... Gave that feedback. Yeah. And then the board got it. And made a different decision. And the board got it. It's really interesting. You talk about my nerdy research, but when I was looking, I was researching this topic of unconscious incompetence, I looked at it mostly from the boss that is that, because that's, I think, the most frustrating, right? And it was fascinating to me because I didn't find anything that told a worker, an employee, what to do besides enable. All of the stuff I found was like, if your boss is unconsciously incompetent, you should cover in a crisis. You should compensate for their weaknesses. You should not talk trash about your boss. And I found that so interesting because I do think that the culture is to continue enabling those in power because they have power. Do women do that more? I'm just really curious. I'm just going to help you more. I don't want to become obsessed with the patriarchy today because we can easily do that. You know I am already. But I think there's this element in it, too, about that. Like... We sometimes put up and we're taught to put up and we don't have any good strategies for not. Now, you were really lucky in your situation because you had a board who stepped in. Yeah. And the 360 review is a really interesting process. If you've got unconscious incompetence around you, being able to say, wow, maybe 360 reviews would be a great idea. And here's the other piece. If no one's going to do anything about that, if you don't have a board of directors over you or somebody who is really checking to see if your manager is competent, you don't have a lot of choices but to plan your exit. I know. Right? And that's just it. Like, if your boss is 
totally clueless like mine was, and you don't have any recourse, and you desperately need the job, I can see how you have to stay. You, you have, have to, to stay compromise. And, you have to help and maybe those strategies that I found over and over again in my research are the only ones you have. Yeah. And I'll say, though, write down what you're doing so you can pump up your resume as you're also <laughs> making an exit right. strategy. Like, yeah. But then when I was looking into this, too, I saw a lot of, like, it's actually up to the leaders of the organizations to take people under their wing and help them understand what they don't know. Like, recognizing that everyone starts their jobs in this unconscious incompetent state to some degree, and so your supervisor should be helping you. But, yeah, if it's your boss... Trouble. It's totally trouble. Trouble in paradise. What if your coworkers are comfortable in this place? What if it's not someone you work for or someone you supervise, but it's your co-worker? co-worker? So that's a really interesting issue because you talked about this before. You said we all help each other out, right? Yeah. And so I think the first strategy in that, at least the one that I've used in the past, is when I have a coworker who I think is unconsciously incompetent, I really try and create relationship, and I also try and like give really detailed instructions or support or just talk about things in a super detailed way. Hopefully they get it. And then I try and follow up with our project and say, how is this going? You try that first because I think when you have unconscious incompetence and you're really trying to support somebody, you want to provide a lot of detail and a lot of support. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And as your coworker, it's kind of the same thing with your boss. You don't have a lot of control over what happens, unless you have a great relationship with somebody above and you can say, this person really needs more help and identify it that way in a supportive way as opposed to, this person is freaking Mr. Magoo and I can't stand two more seconds with them, right? I mean, approach it in a positive way with the supervisor or the manager, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, unconscious incompetence. It's crazy. I don't understand how people even get away with that. The reality of this does not really set in. How is it that you're Mr. Magoo or Colonel McBride in the workplace? And also, when we're talking about engagement and a lot of those measurements of whether somebody is Mm -hmm. engaged at work, Mm -hmm. it's also lack of engagement could be a symptom of unconscious incompetence. You're just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And by the way, I just want to say that this whole conversation is exactly the opposite of what you and I are all about in the workplace, right? Yeah. I mean, this is not what should be in the workplace. Let's all acknowledge that. How do we accommodate that? Is that the word? Correct it. Manage it, it, fix it, whatever. While we abolish, abolish it somewhere where we either say we're going to work on not that not having this in our workplace, or we're going to exit the workplace. Because you know, at the end of the day, it's about your own agency. It's about what you want in your life, and if you can create that at work, great. And if you can't, plan your exit. Yeah, and in fact, some people are happier when they move on, and they don't know it. Do you think that dude that you worked for was happier when you moved on? I don't know. I hope so. I hope so, I was too. happier when he moved on. For sure. But some people are happier when they move on. And in fact, that's the other thing I found is people who finally get released. From some, their incompetence. Somebody who, Absolutely. People who finally get released. I have had several like, oh, my gosh, getting let go of my job was the best thing that ever happened yes. to me. That was the best. I knew something wasn't right. I knew I wasn't performing. I knew I wasn't wasn't in the place that allowed me to really succeed and you know yeah. be successful and engage in meaningful work. So that's exactly it. Yeah, I yeah. could put my finger on it, but now that I'm not there, oh my gosh, that yeah. was great. Yeah. So that's just it. Get that's up. just it, folks. That's just <laughs> it. Unconscious incompetence. Thanks for joining us today. 
Yeah. We hope we gave you some things to think about. And if you are thinking about something, we want to hear about it. In fact, Kirsten and I have an email address that we would love to hear your feedback, thoughts, compliments. Ideas. We think of feedback in our higher moments of self-awareness. We love it. We love feedback. 360. No. So our email address is you, Y-O-U, get to work at gmail.com. You get to work at gmail.com. You get to work at gmail.com. Email us. We want to hear from you. Have a great week, folks. Thanks. Bye. Well, that was fun. If you liked that episode, find us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, take a look at our website at yougettowork.com. Thanks for listening. Crean and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded at community-powered KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, Washington, and streaming at kmre.org. And thanks to our sound engineer, Kevin Leja. Thanks, Kevin.